Okay, before I start, I've got to do a safety warning. I'll be talking about some dangerous processes and... I hold no responsibility for any kind of idiocy that you do. If you cut your hand off of a circular saw, if you set fire to your house and your loved ones because you did something that you thought about the first time you, you, you heard this podcast, don't come crying to me. I absolve myself of all blame. And by listening to this podcast, you agree to absolve me from any blame in any way, shape or form. Cheers. <laughs> So I get a lot of um, emails um, asking me advice on starting building bikes. So I guess we can call this one. Hey, so do you want to build your first bike? Now, one of the most frequent questions we get is, is really specific, actually. Um, when, I owned, when I owned a clothing company, I would get a lot of questions around the functionality of owning and running and starting a clothing brand. But in the bike industry, there seems to be... Um, there, there isn't really that much of a desire to do it. So more, more, more to the point, I, I get requests about the repair or the, the, the changing of geometry on existing frames. So I kind of thought it would be really good to go through some of the processes and some of the pros and cons of various things and demystifying some of the actual workings of create, creating bike frames. So it's, I go back to, literally go back to when I was at school at this point and, and, and start from there and go forward. And, and you know what, if you wanted, you know, your first key into the bike industry and this is the, the thing that you wanted to do, these are the things that you would need to know. Now, it's important to, to, to say that although I've spent a long time in the bike industry riding bikes and racing bikes, some of you guys might know my parents don't even have a car. So I was riding on and off road from literally day one. You know, my parents wouldn't think anything of dragging me miles and miles off road over the weekend so that they could go to a country pub. So bikes have been my life and a linchpin of it the whole time. However, I didn't go to university to study design engineering and 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 that and the fabrication of, of bikes so i want to make that clear and that's that's an important point because i think although that makes it easier it doesn't make it impossible and you would learn a lot um about theoretical stuff so so in in terms of um theory and methodology lee outranks me massively his engineering nuances and he is a he is a cyclist and a motorcyclist as well but there are still things that he needs to come to me about as a more rider-based kind of design you know where, where he doesn't know the interactions between certain things and and what they would do because he has a more um a more cold and mathematical approach to things so that's and a lot of a lot of things in the bike industry are find quite a woolly and 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 quite feel based, which engineers as a rule don't really like. Making my first um, bike frame was an absolute disaster and like absolute unmitigated disaster. However, I did learn a few key things. When I was um, at school, I, I had an engineering teacher who used to like making, fabricating, and kind of designing these wild like motorcycle choppers. And I thought he would be the guy to guide me, guide me through this. Now the rest of my engineering class was like completely like rowdy people that have been put in it that couldn't be trusted to be in any of the other kind of technology classes as they disrupt it. So there wasn't a lot of people that really wanted to work in this class, but I, I really did. Luckily, 
the the welding and brazing room was completely separate. There was like a you know a room with a kiln in it and a room with a, um, a kind of brazing station that was like a, a fireproof wall box almost. And we didn't have access to a lot of a lot of good stuff and all of the um, the equipment was pretty ropey. But they had an acetylene torch in there and and basically there was scrap material and bits of um, brazing rod that had kind of been half used and discarded and I was allowed to use any of those things so I didn't know how to mitre I didn't know anything about the process but what I I set about doing was cutting up tubing and fitting them together and then brazing them so I learned a lot about torch control and flux and fit and that's that's pretty much all I learned in, in in basically half a year of of having an impatient teacher that just tutted at me every time I tried to do something. And really, I, I wanted to make something that was even like bike frame shaped, like even just a a couple of triangles, you know. And it was so it was so stressful, and it was it would warp all over the place, and it was it was just it was it was one of the, until you've actually got your hands on and done it, which which we'll be talking about in a minute. We will be talking about how you start, but just letting you know that it was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Um, I wish that I'd been able to keep what I did, um, but knowing knowing my school, they probably sold it for scrap. Um, but it was it. I learned enough about that that how how to do it. And going back in in my head now, um, I'm thinking that like the way the brazers looked. Um, it might be you know a failing of memory, but the way the brazers looked, they actually. What I didn't realise is that you had to clean them off afterwards. So I was looking at other people who were bike, making brazed bike frames in the industry, and then feeling like I was doing absolute garbage with my with my brazing. But because there was no one there to support and tell me, I didn't realise that you had to clean them off with like basically file and sand them back. And I wonder how you know. I mean, it was plenty strong enough. I, I remember like. Uh, putting it on a, in a vice and hanging off it to see if it would snap and it didn't. So I guess that's a good start. Then I was really, really lucky in the, um, my engineering teacher quit <laughs> and I spent, you know, a, a few, a few weeks of sitting there with a, a very young, very excited student, um, teacher who, who basically managed to get me in with a company called race prep, um, who made all sorts of, um, carbon fiber shenanigans, things for BMW speakers, uh, McLaren. Um, I think they made IndyCar. It was IndyCars at that time and some formula one stuff. And on top of that, some replica formula one stuff. And this was incredibly exciting to me. At the time, you really didn't see too much carbon fiber in the industry. There was brands like Kestrel and Cannondale had, I think it was the Super V, had a carbon fiber layup rear swing arm, which looked like beautiful and science fiction at the time. And my, my, my memory of my first memory of going to race prep was that they made me sign an NDA so I couldn't, which is a non-disclosure agreement. And I'm, you know, I'm basically still a child at this point. And, and they would kind of show me classified stuff as long as I would sign this. And it was quite exciting, you know, um, and we went, we went into these, um, these, these rooms and it was very, very clean and sterile. Everyone was wearing white suits with face masks and hair nets and they were using air tools. I don't know if you've seen them before. They're kind of like Dremels and 
they're, they're powered by a line that goes to the ceiling so you could have multiple tools on it and they were they were finishing the parts that, that had been cured at the time they only really had prepreg carbon fiber so that was all kept in these big kind of household bench refrigerators um, and it was quite exciting it's it kind of like trying to build something with sellotape and then finally they had a giant autoclave for curing stuff in that you could actually you could, you could stand in it could fit a whole formula one car body in there if you wanted and i and i ended up on a really cool job of of making airbox intakes for indie cars and i was just on the line with with the guys and they were just showing me how it went and i i didn't pick up any like um too much technical information about what i was doing but i I learned the process and what was happening and i I found out things how how strong they were and they even let me make some products towards the end of our um of our time together i made my first couple of products i made brake boosters um out of sheets of carbon fiber that i laid up and then um used a um a computer controlled uh, saw to cut cut them out and if you don't know what a brake booster is it's basically the time a cantilever breaks it held held the bolts together so you could pull your brake stronger more than anything they look really cool so that's what, why I made them um, and that was that was there and it I kind of want to dip my hand into it again I really I think over over winter when we're going to have some time off over Christmas I think that I'm going to um, maybe make some mud guards out of carbon fibre just, just for fun so you might might see those, but anyway, I mean, you didn't want to hear me ramble about myself. You want to want to hear how we actually got going. The, the most important part of making a bike frame, apart from the actual design of it, is 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 a jig. In my opinion, a high quality jig makes the job actually doable. Without that, you can't. Now, you might be able to make something that looks like a bike frame. But you've got to think about it being in a three-dimensional sphere. So when people come to me and they say, well, I've been thinking about cutting off the back end of my bike, and I get this frequently. This is not like a, like a you know, that I've been asked it once. I've been asked it maybe 30 or 40 times over the last year. Like, seriously. A couple of times a month where people want to alter the geometry on their bike by cutting off the front end of it and then welding on a new front end. And I think they feel like it would be easy to do because the most complicated part and it is the most complicated part the back bit is already done and i I feel like steel is so resilient that you might even get away with doing it you know like like it would be messy but you might you just might be able to do it the problem being is i've likened it to saying i can't afford to go on holiday so i'm going to learn to be a pilot you know, it's it's. I, I think that by the time all said and done, by the time we actually got a functioning bike out, we probably spent about twenty thousand pounds in resource by the time we got our first frame ready. And so it wasn't a cheap way of doing it, um, but we did. We learned more in six months than we would have learned years of, of schooling. You know, it was it was trial by fire, quite literally. So the the biggest thing I'd say is forget any of that first, which is this is going to put people off straight away and they might do it. And that's probably a good thing. But you need to go and do your research on tubing first. That's where you need to start. Don't worry about anything else, but learn what tubing is 
and learn the difference between aluminium and steel tubing and what you have to do with some aluminium afterwards like heat treating and then then start thinking about how it works then consider going on a bike building course which may look financially expensive but i guarantee it won't be as expensive as buying all the equipment including a good jig and failing over and over again now that being said i would recommend if you have the space and the time and the access to the equipment learning to braze or tig weld or even mig weld any scraps of metal together even sheets and stuff like that repetition is half of the job but imagine the design of a frame and the manufacture and fabrication of the frame are two very very different things imagine uh, for a food analogy like growing vegetables or being a chef you know they're they're two very different things and even you could say in the industry taking the analogy further it's the difference between growing vegetables being a chef or running a company that makes thousands of ready meals that is like almost how it is you know you have like an artisan builder like curtis uh, uh your michelin starred chef and then trek are your ready meal company it doesn't matter if you have the gastro pub version with goose dipped fries you know it's still a ready meal you know in a different that's the difference between the two however there are also some builders that are basically a greasy spoon so, <laughs> so that's god i love my analogies go on uh, but I, I always think when you talk about food people get it so going back if you have the time and the inclination to start working on um on 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 getting your brazing or welding chops first i'd recommend that definitely makes it easier however there are there are various things with, with making bicycle frames that that are so challenging one is the thickness of the material makes it really 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 difficult so even if you know a welder who does lots of welding of car parts and stuff like that they may be used to welding really really thick bits of metal together which hold the heat better distribute it better and uh, they're way easier to weld there are there are definitely times even when brazen when you could easily blow through one of the tubes because they're so thin and then there's the the junctions of the tubes where you have one thicker tube and then you have a thinner tube with a with a nice you know kind of um really really thin joint and it's it just begs to to blow apart under the torch and that's 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 the first bit of the challenge now if you can even believe it it gets worse from there onwards one of the the, the difficult things is some of the areas are hard to reach if you think about the complexity of brazing around a bottom bracket shell and chain stays and then i always found particularly one one of the worst places i found is underneath the top tube by the head tube junction getting in there especially if the you know if the down tube's already in which it would be you know it, it becomes uh, quite confusing and you know you, you feel like you could do an extra arm a lot of the time but even from there it's once again going to get worse so here we go um at that point you still need to make sure that the frame is in alignment so you would do that by having the frame in a jig but it doesn't mean that when it cools down that it won't twist and warp and one of the things that surprised me that the 
frame builders do is is the alignment of the rear stays is normally done with large bamboo poles you know and they, they pull the frame apart they pull it together aluminium frames it's even more violent they tend to do it with a hammer and then stick it back in for heat treating it's it's really it's really rustic when you see it but it's the only way of bending it back when it's when it's relaxed after kind of coming out of the um, you know once it's cooled down come out of the cool down cycle so it's it's it, it's such a, a complicated thing but even besides that it shouldn't put you off doing it because everyone started somewhere and if you're willing to fail over and over again and if you're willing to invest time and energy into it there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't do it but for reasons of economy it really isn't you know you would have to already know how to do some of the things or have access to a friendly person and at that point once you have that there's really no point doing a cut and shut bike the only exception i think is i we, we know a guy dan um and and he has tended to get like old wrecked aluminium bikes, um, like full suspension bikes, and he kind of takes the swing arm off off them and rebuilds a steel front triangle, um, and then mounts it. And he's had quite a lot of success with that. And when he first told me about it, I tried. I I didn't try to talk him out of it, but I did tell him that I, I thought it was a particularly long winded and bad idea for something that that could be more simply done. But yet he's gone away and he's done. It. And he's had quite a lot of success. And as far as I know, I don't think he's broken too many of them. But the first couple, I know that he certainly did. <laughs> and, but, you know, when it's when it's for you, it doesn't really matter. But with a, the price of hardtail frames at the moment, where you could probably get a reasonable one, you know, for four or five hundred quid, um, which is still obviously a lot of money. I just don't I've, I think it still costs less than sourcing and buying the tubing, spending the time doing it and, and trying to, to make you know your own front triangle I, I feel like it's probably a fool's errand if anyone has done it and would like to correct me and will show me examples where it's absolutely just worked fine first time i'm curious i think i'd like to see it but there's other you know there's other things like even clearing the tubes of braise afterwards you know like where you need like a specific tool and they're quite expensive you know and and clearing the seat tube you know, area which needs a specific tool. I think the only situation that will work is if you had a friend that already did it for a living, and if so, they could do the adjustments or build you a frame for far cheaper than you could waste your time doing it yourself. So, what is the path that you should take if you do want to start making frames? And I'll break it down nice and clear, and you can learn from my mistakes so that you can save yourself time, money, and heartbreak. Firstly, it's not if anyone promises you like it's a quick thing then i think they're not they're not teaching you right i think that you should be able to if you're just making one frame it's probably okay to just do one supervised it'd be really fun you know it'd be a very long weekend or a very short week and you could probably from end to end with supervision make your first bike for a reasonable amount of amount of money maybe maybe even under a thousand pounds if you're lucky um and you, you can actually, I mean, you know, that um, the, the guy from Monet Bikes wanted to learn to make better braised bikes. And he flew and lived in, in like over in Taiwan working in a bicycle factory. He got a job working in a bicycle factory. So he was just like brazing frames all day, every day. 
I mean, that is the way to do it. We used to say in the tattoo shop, if everyone wanted a, anyone wanted a fast line for an apprenticeship and they wanted to they wanted to get out and do it as soon as possible, and life wouldn't wait for them. I said, buy some gear, get on a plane, go to Ibiza in winter or somewhere like that, a holiday resort, find someone who has a tattoo studio there and said, yep, I will work every day for minimum wage, just tattooing, walking things for a year for you. How about that? And I guarantee by the time you come out of that, you'll either be good or never want to do it again. <laughs> so, like, you know, the a year of fundamentals so he had a great idea and done that and it shows in his frames now it builds so beautiful and it just leaps and bounds from where 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 he was only a year ago so i don't think there's any substitute for doing it do people have a natural knack for making bike frames no not specifically but some people do have quite good hand and eye coordination which you require if you play guitar or drums you're definitely ahead of the curve i am happy for piano and guitar drills because it means that both my hands can do opposite things so that's you know that's very useful when brazing design of a frame is something that you can invest time in now um, you can get free software from like BikeCAD and start working through your designs and it will even let you print off the mitre schedule for it so all of the little collars that you put on tubes to, to cut them correctly um, you can print all of those off and you can cut up pieces of wood or cardboard and make a fake bike frame you can practice doing that because you won't believe how hard mitering is even with notch cutting and filing it's quite a hard job especially with steel you know you really need some elbow grease if you ever want to um you know ever want some practice at that get a small piece of steel tube put it in a vise and then try and kind of cut a half moon shape out of it using a file and then think about how many of those are on a bike frame if you can get good at that as well it's really good practice and these are cheap things to do and then um i have seen but i don't i've never done it myself but you can get plumbers blow torches that are enough to melt braze and you could practice going backwards and forwards hand-eye coordination with that on some sheet metal thick pieces of sheet metal um and and that that might be a way that you kind of start getting the idea and the vision of the flow but please make sure that you don't do any of these things without adequate protection i'm gonna have to go to the start of the this um, podcast and put this at the start because otherwise someone's going to set fire to themselves and then I'll get sued. Um, by the way, I have never set fire to myself brazing, but I almost always do it when TIG welding. I'm also awful at TIG welding. I don't know why. There is a part of it. Um, I described it in an interview that um, brazing is like reggae and TIG welding is like thrash, you know? brazing is serene and calm and and paced and tig welding has a pressure to it that you need to have this kind of mechanical robotic rhythm that you need to process and go through and and so i find it for some reason i find it massively difficult and i really hate it and i've actually scheduled myself to take time off work in august next year to spend the entire month tick brazing uh tick bra uh, tick welding because i just want to learn it because it drives me crazy not being able to do that and the year after that i'm going to learn cnc programming um not because I'm going to do any CNC programming. It just bugs the heck out of me that I don't even know the fundamentals at this point and I have to rely on Lee for everything. So there are massive gaps in what I do. 
what should you do to design your first bike frame? A lot of people start to come out of the gate and try to design something that is absolutely crazy and, you know, and, and, and difficult. But I think that, that if anything, you know, if you can simplify your first task and even remake something that already exists to, to hold it up against and to, to benchmark it against, I think that that's, that's the way that I would go. We were coming into the industry to make um, to make something very specific, but we still didn't make the first thing we meant to make first. The first thing we were supposed to make was Narpoon, but we made a hardtail to test the geometry and our processes before we even went into making our first bike. We never had any kind of um, designs on making hardtails ever. Me and Tim rarely ride them, so it would make no sense for us to do them. However, we decided that, yep, what would be best for us is to test the geometry and make sure it was right and test the process and make sure it was right. And it just ended up making a kick-ass hardtail. So we kind of stuck with it. Um, if you do have questions and stuff, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to, to answer it, but there are a number of resources for builders in the UK um, that I can, I'm happy if you send me a message, I will, I will hook you up with a few places that do builds. Obviously, we learn at Downland Cycles, so we can recommend them. Um, and, and there are another few resources in the UK that I'll send through to you if you ask. Um, but it's never too late to learn a new skill and it's never, you're never too young to. You know, I wish that when I was kind of, you know, 12, 13, that I had access to BikeCAD and I could just go through stuff and access programs like Linkage and go through stuff. You know, up until 10 years ago, I was still doing designs on one centimetre squared paper, you know, and now I can design something in BikeCAD and Linkage and give it to Lee and he can make it a free, you know, a 3D render in days. You know, so I think you have access to stuff out there free of charge and there's nothing stopping you doing it. Also, you can learn so much on YouTube now. It's absolutely insane. It's so crazy being able to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's all out there for you and just help yourself to it. This is the one thing I want to close this with. You do not need people's permission to do what you want in your life. You don't need people's permission to follow your dreams. And you can always make time to do stuff. A lot of my friends tell me they wish they could do what we did, but they just don't have the time for it. Well, Tim had a one-month-old kid when we started sick, and I had a, a, a four-year-old, you know? It, it, it wasn't easy in no way, shape, or form. But when your mates are down the pub, you're sitting on bike cad. When your mates are having a Sunday morning lay-in, you're up at six o'clock with your coffee and all of your charts out like a loser. You know, we didn't get to ride for half a year. We took time off to, to work on this. There is always time if you want to do something. Don't let that voice in your head hold you back. At school, they teach you you need permission to do everything. You need a little bit of a qualification and a piece of paperwork to do something. You don't. There's nothing stopping you at all. Just go out there and start doing it and follow your dream. You owe yourself that.